0: Good morning. Rich was spicy today, so it's my turn. Um, it's funny when you get taken out of what your normal routine is on a Sunday morning, like Rich obviously not preaching, he had to, you know, throw the spicy in there. I didn't, I'm not on worship or on sound, and so I was all before service just walking around like, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? Because you get so used to things, right? But I'm, I'm pumped to be able to share with you this morning. Um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today, and Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth. Lord, I pray that as we dive in this morning, that Lord, you would prepare our hearts for what you have for us. Lord God, you'd help me to communicate clearly and effectively, and Lord God, ultimately, that your will will be accomplished. And so, Lord, we we thank you for this time that we have together in your word, in your name. Amen. Well, when it comes to serving in ministry, we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's view of ministry. And right off the jump, I do my notes differently than Rich. Um, I just do. Uh, there are times if there's something I want you to write down, I'll say to write down. But you kind of get freedom this week to write down whatever you want. If you're a doodler, if you're a note taker, whatever. I like to sometimes write down just the things that stick out to me. And so that's how they're, uh, why they're different this morning. Um, Maybe I'm a touch lazy. No, that's not it, I promise. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit about ministry. And and for a time, we're going to talk about professional ministry and others that serve in ministry because this isn't just about serving in ministry as a pastor there's going to be some of that but all of us and I know Rich has talked about this before if we're followers of Christ guess what we're ministers all of you ministry happens as a team and not just a team as you know the leadership team here at Living Faith which is so fun to be a part of but it's I think you guys would say all of y'all is that the right usage there Rich all of y'all I think that's the right way. But when it comes to serving in a ministry, there's, there's things that we'd sometimes say, we sometimes joke a little bit. Uh, we never learned that in seminary. We'll be caught doing something, and oh, no one ever told us that. Usually, you know, we're running cable in the attic or doing something super fun, like climbing underneath the building, which is a, that's usually my job. And uh, it's, it's kind of fun, depending on if it was wet over there or not. It's all, all that different stuff that when you go to Bible college, you think, oh, all I'm ever going to do is get to study the Bible and like ministry. People, this is awesome. And then, oh, well, the, I mean, the trash needs to get taken out too every once in a while, right? There's a lot that we never knew we were going we to do it. Some pastors, you know, not us, of course, would say that if we knew then what we knew now, maybe we wouldn't do this, right? There's some pastors that do feel that way, and it's unfortunate There's something that happens in ministry that causes people to lose the joy in serving. And let me tell you, there is such a joy in serving the Lord. And I know some of you that have volunteered or some of you that are serving currently, it's a joyful thing, right? It's exciting. It's fun to see students. I've been working in youth ministry for a long time to see students come to know Jesus. I have a class of of fifth and sixth graders on Wednesday night and I lead worship for them. To hear them get to sing... They sound terrible. But man, those kids are singing. And it's so cool because they're just, they're belting it out. There's like six of them, but they're loud. They'd fill this room. It brings so much joy. But then there are other things that sometimes maybe get us down. Because there's not always the good stuff, there's not always the fun stuff. Sometimes there's the hard things. Sometimes that, that losing that joy in ministry can be specific to pastors, but I think it applies to all of us because sometimes we do get fatigued. Sometimes we do get beaten down. When things don't go the way we thought they were going to go when we serve, we can be a little bit uh, frustrated. Paul has this amazing understanding of not only what it means to serve, but also how cool it was that he was even called in the first place to do this. Because the calling to serve in ministry, while it applies to everyone, like, Paul got called from a pretty specific background, right? Into a specific ministry. I'm sure most of us remember who Paul was. We've covered this multiple times, but when Paul was Saul as a Pharisee, when he was there, when Stephen was stoned, he was actively working against the kingdom of God. So much so that when God met him and changed his life, God said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me there in Acts 9? He was actively working against the kingdom, and God says, and you're my guy. <laughs> so right off the bat, anybody thinking, ah, I'm not the one to serve in ministry, go back and read the life, like, study about the life of Paul before he came to know Christ. Not any one of us is ever good enough for ministry, but I think I could say maybe none of us are ever too bad for ministry. Because man, if there was somebody that was, it might have been Paul. Paul. So when Paul speaks of ministry, he fully understands the high calling. And and maybe we're right there with him, how we're just in there. And yeah, I I got green paper today. I, I got lumped in with a different one there. So as we continue our study, we're picking up right after Rich taught about our position in Christ, that we are holy and righteous because of the blood of Christ, and that we're now reconciled to the Father. Now it's on us to jump in and serve, jump in and do it. Because of what Christ has done, now we have this high calling to go and to live it out, right? It's super awesome. It's super fun. Amen? Amen? Yeah, we're awake this morning, right? It wasn't just me that had a hard time sleeping. I got to preach, so it was my turn to not sleep super well on Saturday night. So let's jump into our passage in, passage in Colossians chapter 1. We're starting in verse 24. And so it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So, right there, I now rejoice. That little phrase, I now rejoice. Think for a minute where Paul is when he's writing this. He's in prison. The traditional view is that he's uh, not only in prison, he's imprisoned in Rome. Can't imagine that being a, an enjoyable experience, can you? I mean, they probably weren't getting TV there, like the meals probably stunk, right? It just wasn't a good deal. But now I rejoice. And the word rejoice here, and I was going to attempt the Greek, it's hyro, literally means to be cheerful, calmly happy, or well off. Do any of these things seem like being in jail? Calmly well off. Yeah. (laughs) Sweet. But now I rejoice. This word here for rejoice is used in Matthew 2 to describe the reaction of the wise men seeing the star that was going to lead them to Christ. Finding baby Jesus Christ, sitting in prison, rejoice. There's a disconnect there, isn't it? One of them seems like something where we'd be like super pumped up, right? And one of them, it seems like we would just wallow in our sorrow and grief, especially because he really didn't do anything wrong. He, I mean, he disobeyed authority, but to preach the gospel. And here he is suffering for it. Yay! He's excited. Now I rejoice. It's incredible to me. He has the same attitude of rejoicing in his sufferings as someone who's going and seeing the star that they've been waiting for, waiting for the Messiah. John MacArthur points out when it comes to ministry, as challenging and demanding as it is, ministry was never intended to be an arduous or unbearable burden. Sometimes it can feel that way. I remember one of the first books I read upon becoming a youth pastor was titled My First Two Years in Youth Ministry. And it really walked you through. Here's what to expect. Someone finally wrote the book on what to expect so you don't run screaming the first time. Something bad happens. The first time you get punched in the mouth and you can, instead of running away, rejoice like Paul. It was awesome. At the time when I was studying that, when I was going through the book, the average stay of a youth pastor was 18 months. 18 months. It took me 18 months to learn my kids' names. <laughs> and every now and again, I give them a hard time where I'll say their name wrong on purpose just because I know it messes with a few of them. Um, I believe that average is up to three years now. Praise the Lord. That's a good thing, moving in the right direction. But I wanted to share with, you, share with you some stats having to do with ministry. And I think Rich shared some of these some time ago, but I think some of them bear repeating. According to the Fuller Institute, George Barna, and Pastoral Care, Inc., 61% of congregations have forced a pastor to leave. 83%—this one was, was hard—83% of clergy spouses want their spouse to leave pastoral ministry. That one's a hard one. 90% of clergy in all denominations will not stay in ministry long enough to reach the age of retirement. 50% of pastors indicated that they would leave ministry if they had another way of making a living. That's Again, that's a hard one. 90% of pastors, I'm in the 10% here, of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours per week. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastor's children do not attend church now because of what the church has done to their parents. 33% state that being in ministry is an outright hazard to their family. This is ministry we're talking about. This is ministry. This is pastoral ministry. Again, if you'd have read these stats to me when I was in Bible college, I'd have looked and gone, no way, no way. Once you go and serve in pastoral ministry, that's the good stuff, right? And see, I was going to be a youth pastor where every kid that's ever come into my youth ministry, after we've played like dodgeball for a half an hour or like kick the can or run around or we're having pizza for the eighth time that month, they're like, this is your job? Yeah, totally is. It's sweet, right? But there's the other side of those things where it's really difficult. There's all kinds of other stats. There's so many things. One of them, um, one of them that hit me, 70% say that they have a lower self-image than when they first started. That's a tough thing. Because again, ministry, you live in this little fishbowl where everybody gets to see what you're doing. And some people have expectations of us that, yeah, Scripture says ministers are called to a higher calling. But we walk around going, oh my gosh, I can't do anything right. That's sometimes how it feels. It's kind of tough. I don't share these stats to make you feel bad for pastors or to cast a negative light or anything like that. Because honestly, and we're going to circle around to this, so let me foreshadow the end of the sermon. Serving the Lord is so sweet. I can't imagine doing anything else. My wife will give me a hard time. Every once in a while, I'll fix something around the house. Like I'll fix something electrical in the house. And she goes, you should be an electrician. And I'm like... I don't think that's how, just because I can change an outlet, I don't think that's how that works. Somehow, it seems like a little more complicated than that. I fixed her headlight in her car. You should be a mechanic. And I was like, I'm missing a few steps there, I think. I think. But truly, I've said this before, and Rich, I'm sure you would say the same thing. I cannot imagine doing anything different than what I'm doing now. Because serving the Lord, there's so much blessing there. But with that blessing sometimes comes a little bit of heartache. I feel like it's important for us to understand the full scope of what goes on in ministry because then we start to understand why Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings. Because yes, there are sufferings. Now Paul's going through sufferings in a much different light than I ever have. I ever have. My worst day, I imagine, is better than a a, a Roman jail. Right? I would assume, I mean, they can be pretty rough. John MacArthur again says this. He says, The writer of Hebrews reminds people that Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him wasn't such... I typed that incorrectly. (laughs) It's funny when you do that every once in a while. You're like, I can't read my own writing. I started typing things. I used to handwrite stuff. And now I I can't do that anymore because I can't read my own writing. The key is that Jesus never lost the true joy of his ministry, even faced with the terrible reality of the cross. Jesus had a job to come and do, right? And he endured suffering bodily that, again, I'm not going to face. But he never lost the joy in serving. He never lost the joy of his ministry, even when faced with that. And unlike him, most of us, and this is again MacArthur saying this, have not yet resisted to the point of, share, of shedding blood. He says, John MacArthur says this, You do not lose the joy of serving Christ unless your communion with him breaks down. You do not lose the joy in serving Christ unless your communion with him breaks down. I think if I'm being honest, the times that I struggle the most in ministry are the times that I may be not taking my personal ministry serious where I'm not taking my personal time of devotion serious. Does that make sense? Maybe that's some of us too. Maybe you're you're volunteering. Maybe you serve in different capacities. But maybe you start to feel a little bit empty or that joy in serving isn't there. You know, you're doing it, but we're holding on by a thread, right? I'm doing it because I got to do it. Where did the joy go? Where's Where's the excitement about, man, I get to go serve the kingdom? We've talked about it before, people that are are newer in faith come in with this vibrance and excitement, and it's always so fun because, man, you tell them they just want to serve the church, and we're like, well, I mean, the chair's need to be moved. Let's go! And I'm like, I don't want to move those chairs. I hate moving those chairs, right? Oh, man, we got to go mow the lawn, and I'm like, oh, if I get to ride the mower, maybe. Like, maybe I'll ride the mower, because that's kind of fun, right? But where did the joy go? I think what happens is when we when we don't have that communion with the Lord, when we're not taking care of ourselves personally and our, on our walk, we lose that joy. And that's not just for pastors, that's anyone serving, that's all of us. We are unable to serve Christ with joy if we're not in regular communion with him. And that's not just communion like we took together. That's a continual relationship, right? That's being in a right relationship with him. That's reading your Bible. That's an active prayer life. That's having right these regular checkups where we're serving the Lord. Being in lockstep with the Father helps put our suffering in perspective, because when we face those hardships, we face those trials, we face those things where it's difficult to continue serving the Lord. It puts them in perspective. David Guzik notes that Paul was able to see his suffering work something good for others. It's so important for us to remember that what Paul's doing, he's actually ministering to people and being persecuted for that. And again, we've talked about this before, the persecution that Paul faced, we don't face on a regular basis. Our persecution's pretty light. But his suffering was doing something good for others. In verse 24 of Colossians 1, he says it, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Because he is suffering for people around him. His whole goal is to go and preach the gospel. And he's being told, don't preach the gospel. And he goes, "Mm -hmm." and then goes and does it and gets put in jail. And then they let him out. Don't do that again. And then goes and does it again. Back in jail. And it happened so many times and his life was so rough that actually commentators say that he was unrecognizable by the end of his life. He had been beaten so poorly. He was disfigured. So when he suffered, for, when he suffered, he suffered. But he says for your sake and he's rejoicing in it. He's rejoicing in it. A lot of times we have one bad thing happen and it's like, let everyone hear my sad story. Come feel bad for me. Right? Maybe that's just me. I love complaining. I'm good at it. <laughs> really good at it. Let me tell you my sad story and feel bad for me. That's not what he does. He rejoices. When we suffer, and here's a question I have, something for us to think about. When we suffer, are we suffering because we are serving the king? Or are we suffering because we are not? I know that's a question that might step on some toes. But if we're enduring some suffering right now, if we've got some trials in our life right now, I think I would ask those those questions: Is it one or the other? Are we suffering for the kingdom, or is God maybe trying to smack us around a little bit? Because I know when I'm not doing what God wants me to do, I know it. He has a way. Jonah had a big fish. I get just, and it's all the time. It's just constant. Like I get it. You think after a while I'd understand? I don't like being hit in the head. There is joy in suffering for the kingdom, knowing that our suffering is not in vain. The hours, the pain, the heartache, to see one more come to Christ is truly a blessing. I had a student, um, again, I've been doing student ministry for a long time, and I had a student reach out to me, and I, I had basically written this student off. I'm never going to hear from that member again. Walked away. Didn't really know what had gone on. Figured I had zero impact on this kid's life. Just, you have that every now and again. I'm okay. I preached Jesus to this kid, but he sat in youth group and whatever. And then I get this random Facebook message. Hey, do you remember me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. How are you doing? (laughs) Good. What do you need, man? I haven't talked to you in like four years. What's going on? Come to find out he's serving the Lord? Come to find out he's, got a, he's, he's had to move, but he's turning his life around. He's in a healthy relationship and has a relationship with the Lord. And I was just like, okay, I never get to complain ever again, ever. Because there's someone that I thought, man, I preached at probably, you know, once a week for, I don't know, two years. Didn't do anything with it. That was such a waste of my time. How dare I say that? If God's called me to serve in a certain place and to go and preach the gospel, all I'm responsible for is my obedience. Am I responsible for the results? I don't know what the heck God does with all that, but that's not my job. My job is to go and do what he's laid on my heart. This comes up with students all the time when we talk about, you know, uh, if serving homeless will come up. You know, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell students, hey, if there's a homeless guy with a sign, And it says hungry. And you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit, that right there in the back of the head. Hey, give that guy some money. Give that guy some But I don't want to because he's just going to go buy alcohol. (laughs) Did God say to make sure he goes and buys a burger? No. No. What did God lay on your heart? Just give him. Do what God tells you to do. Let him take care of the rest. And when you know that, when you can get to that place where you start to see God move and God use you in ministry and allow that. There's so much joy in that. It's such a cool thing. <clears throat> Warren Wearsby points out a Christian should never suffer as a thief or an, as an evildoer, but it is an honor to suffer as a Christian. It goes further than that, because now we're not just suffering for others, now we're suffering for the sake of Christ. Wiersbe again states he was suffering for the sake of Christ's body, the church. There was a time that Paul had persecuted the church and caused it to suffer, but now Paul devoted his life to the care of the church. In our passage, Paul goes on to say, And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul's filling in what was lacking, which seems like a weird statement to make, because, I mean, that just sounds funny, doesn't it? What's lacking in the afflictions of Christ... Maybe, like, I don't know, maybe just, maybe me, I read that and I was like, I need to look into that further. I need to see what the heck that means, because it seems like there wouldn't be anything lacking in Christ. We know that it's the blood of Christ that saves us, and that there's nothing else that's needed, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one may boast, right? So there's nothing lacking. So what's he talking about? Because this passage seems like it would be adding something to our salvation, But instead, what it's telling us, and J. Vernon McGee puts it this way Paul's suffering for them completes the sufferings of Christ. So Jesus went and did his thing. Now it's on us to do our thing. Which for us, we get to be co heirs of the kingdom, right? It's super fun. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, it says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If you stop there, it's great. Hey, we're co-heirs with Christ? That's awesome. Because I know what's waiting for me in heaven. I get to be co-heir to that? Yeah, buddy, let's go. Let's go today. That's exciting stuff, right? When you start to think about all the good stuff. But the passage continues, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. It's exciting to talk about being coerced with the good stuff, but what about what else comes along with it? What about the suffering? What about the times it's not going well? What about the Roman jail? Because we know what's going to happen. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will have everything easy for them forever. Does that sound familiar? I didn't put the verse up on the screen, but what it says is everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Ah, But I don't like that. I don't want that. That doesn't seem right. That's not fair. So if we want to be followers and get all the good stuff There's going to be some of the bad that comes along with it, but what changes is our perspective because we know that our suffering produces something good, right? Not only in us, but in others. We have to realize that our suffering, when we're suffering for Christ's sake, not because we're doing something wrong, not because God's correcting us. If you're suffering because God's correcting you, man, let's figure that out, okay? But if we're suffering because we're serving the Lord, man, that's a sweet thing because you know it's doing something good in us and potentially in others. And sometimes we don't get to see the fruit of that suffering. Growing up, I went to a Christian school uh, through uh, first grade all the way through 12th grade. And I always heard about the scenario that you would be in a science class one day and you'd have a teacher ridicule you for uh, believing in creation. And I always thought that was a joke. Because again, I, I knew nothing. I, 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 went, I lived in a bubble like this big. I, and, and then I went to Cal State Fullerton for college for two years. And I remember, um, I remember the day it happened. I was in a biology class, and again, I was, I was there studying uh, radio, TV, and film. I wanted to be a sports journalist, and because I thought that's what God wanted me to do. <laughs> I had no idea. And I remember being in that biology class, and we get to the whole creation evolution thing, we get to evolution, and my teacher, and, and there's 250 some odd kids in this big auditorium. And uh, most of us didn't want to be there. And she says, hey, are there any of you out there that believe in the, this whole Christian uh, creation thing? And I was not paying attention to what was going on. I heard the question, and just went, "Yeah." because I, I, didn't, I didn't stop to think this might not be the socially popular thing, because I grew up going to Christian school, of course we believe this. I raise my hand like a dummy and look around, oh no, <laughs> I'm the only one. And she looks at me and goes, yeah, we'll change that. And I, again, being the young snarky rebel I was, went, eh, we'll see loud enough for everyone to hear, and the whole class, ooh, and I was like, oh, that's not what I wanted to do, because now I'm the arrogant Christian now. Dang it. So after class, after I, you know, had to sit there and listen to the rest of that lecture and just kind of like hide, I walked up to my professor, and I said, hey, I'm sorry if that came across as arrogant. She goes, no, I'm sorry if that was, that was weird. Have it happen every now and again, but I've never had just one, and I was like, well, I'll tell you, I'm going to study for this class, I'll, I'll answer the questions, but I just want you to know I don't believe it. She's like, that's fair, I can live with that. I'm like, okay. So I walk out and there's a group of like 15 other students sitting outside, and again, I cannot get out of there fast enough. And this guy stops me and he goes, yo, what the heck was that? What do you mean? He goes, you raised your hand in there? And she asked if anybody believed in creation. I thought I was supposed to answer a question. And he goes, yeah, I do too. I'm just not dumb enough to raise my hand in front of all these people. <laughs> What are you doing? And I was like, what are you doing, man? Let's go. And there's a bunch of them standing there going, we're so like, that was so encouraging to know that you would do that. And I'm like, raise your hand, man. There could have been a bunch of us. (laughs) It stunk. I didn't like it. But I got to see right away kind of how what I did, and I don't just say that to pat myself on the back. There's other times I've blown it completely. But that was one where I got to see right away how uh, like 15 other students got encouraged just because I raised my hand. Right then and there. And I don't know what happened with that. You know, the heavens didn't part and doves didn't fly and three people accept Jesus that day or anything. But I don't know what happened. But I just know I obeyed in the moment. I just know I obeyed in the moment. I don't know if that teacher ever reconsidered everything. Likely not. But we don't always get to see that. We don't always get to see the fruit of our labors, but God is always more concerned with our obedience than the, than the results. He leaves the results up to him. We are just concerned with our obedience. I just need to do what God's called me to do and let him deal with the rest. So when we suffer, as Paul says he is suffering, we share in the sufferings of Christ. Not the human suffering that he endured, but the suffering for the sake of righteousness. And Paul doesn't just endure it, he rejoices in it. He doesn't just like, okay, I'm just going to hang on tight here. No, he rejoices in it. He understands that his position was given by God. This opportunity to serve, it's given by God and God almost brings him into his team. Back in our passage, verse 25 says that Paul became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul's position was entrusted to him. It reminded me of the the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where these three servants were entrusted with uh, various amounts of money. And two of the servants go out, and they double their money, and the other guy goes and hides it, right? We're familiar with this story? And the master comes back, and he tells the ones that doubled it, hey, great job, well done, my faithful servant. You've been trusted with little? You know, you've been trusted with a lot. And he goes and he rebukes the one that hid it. That guy was just scared he was going to lose it, and he knew the master was hard. It's such a cool parable when you think about it, because in the same way, we, and not just pastors, we as believers have been given so much. We've been given the good news of the gospel, the greatest gift ever given. You've been given that, and he said, now use it. We've been given the literal keys to the kingdom. We're now co-heirs with Christ, and he says, go use it. Make it count. Go use what I've given you. And then he blesses us with all these different spiritual gifts and says, go. Now I've not only given you the gift, and now I'm not only giving you the good news, but now I've given you different ways to go and do that, to go and implement that. Yeah, get after it. Go do it. I think the phrase we use is, get off your blessed assurance, go and do it. According to Warren Wiersbe, Paul's call was not a matter of choice. He was called to fulfill the word of God. This can mean I must preach the word fully and not compromise any truth. That means at times when we go and we preach the gospel, we're going to say what's true regardless of what the, the backlash is. I've told this story before. Still, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, there were 30,000 people that went to our, on our campus. 30,000 people. How many people live in Klamath Falls? It's close, right? I knew two people at that campus. The one got kicked out after the first semester. I don't know what the heck happened. You was just gone. So I had this one other dude. He and I were friends. We played baseball. We did all kinds of stuff. And we had all of our classes together. And, um... It was about a year and a half before I got up the nerve to, you know, tell him about Christ. I had told him about church. I had told him about, you know, I go to youth group or whatever. And he was always just like, cool. And so I finally got up the nerve to tell him about Jesus. And I go and give this whole big thing. I was so worked up about it. And when he, when he said it, I got to the end of it. And I went, so what do you think? And he goes, cool. <laughs> Man, I went back. And I was like, did I say something wrong? Did I do something because what I was worried about was I was worried about telling him the truth and him rejecting not just the truth, but rejecting me. Because if I now don't have this friend at school, I have nobody. I'm in a sea of 30,000 people by myself. I was scared. But I had to tell him the truth and not compromise any little bit of it. Because if I compromise the truth, if I don't tell him the whole truth, do I do him any good? No. No. Not any. We've been given this awesome opportunity to come alongside Christ and serve his people. To serve in the kingdom. Now sometimes we hear pastors give this message and I'm sure some of you have been in church, you're like, you're waiting. All right, when's he going to tell me I have opportunities here, 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 here. That's not what we're doing. That's not my goal today. Because God's been so good to Living Faith Fellowship. Like, we don't have the problem that most churches have. Most churches have the 80-20 problem, 80% of the work being done by 20% of the people. We don't. And if you want an example of that, think back a couple of years ago when we had VBS. Those of you that were here for that, if you remember, people were showing up on Monday of EBS to help, going, where can I help? And we were like, we're kind of Okay. If you've ever been around a church VBS, you know that's the opposite problem anyone's ever had. Usually we're begging, please come. Please, I'll give you a million dollars. If you come, just sit with these kids and keep them alive for a couple hours. Please. Right? We were telling people we're fine. You can come help, but like, there's really nothing for you to do. That's amazing. That's a cool thing. This church is weird. Because we don't have those problems. I go back and tell other pastors that this is the kind of stuff we deal with, and they're like, you're joking, right? No. It sounds like a joke, but it's not. So I don't want to talk to you about serving in ministry and going and doing because I want you to do something specifically here. What I want you to understand is the high call that Christ has placed on your life. What I want you to understand is the importance of what you have. You have the gospel. You have the good news, the best news. Which in it contains the power to save. Holy smokes. Go and do it. Go and serve. And there are a lot of you out there that have amazing, incredible gifts that I I could never have. I can do a lot of things, but there's some things out there that I cannot do. The kingdom needs that. Well, I'm not, I can't get up and speak in front. I can't do that. I struggled today. I messed up. And I'm a professional. (laughs) That's good. Man, are any one of us good enough? No. We're all human beings. But I know that God's called me to do this. What is it that God's called you to do? Who's the person in your life that needs to know Jesus and he's put them right next to you, working next to you for however many years? Who's that person that needs to know Jesus that you work with? Who is it? He didn't put them there for nothing. He put them there for you to go and tell them. What's God blessed you? What's God called you to do? So for us, as we close, I want to ask you something. As co-heirs with Christ... Are we ready to serve him? Are we ready to suffer with him? Are we ready to jump into the fight for the kingdom? And are we ready to do so with a cheerful attitude? Galatians 6.9 says, So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will receive a harvest if we do not give up. This one I struggle with. This one's on me. Not growing weary in doing good. I'll do the right thing, but I'm not going to like it. (laughs) That happens sometimes. And every now and again, somebody needs to come alongside and sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, sometimes it's rich, most times it's my wife. (laughs) Knock it off! Okay, sorry. i got to get my attitude right. i got to get my heart right. Because I know at times I do struggle with that. Maybe we find ourselves in one of these camps. Maybe we see the sufferings that come with accepting Christ and go... Nah, not for me. While I would understand that, once you begin to taste and see how good God is, all of those sufferings, all of those difficulties, all of those things become so worth it. Maybe we're currently serving the kingdom and it's so radically changed your life that any and all sufferings are worth it. You're like, bring it on, I'm in, let's go, punch me right in the face for Jesus. Maybe that's you. Praise the Lord for you. That's awesome. I'm pumped. You're an encouragement to so many people around you, especially for this next group. Because maybe you're in this group. Maybe you've been serving for a long time, and it's kind of become tiresome. Maybe you've, you've lost the joy in serving. Dare I say, you've lost that loving feeling. <laughs> what brings us back isn't some fancy plan. It's not some book. It's not some, you know, 10-step thing. It's remembering what it was like when you first accepted Christ. And there was so much joy in serving. The first time you got an opportunity, oh my gosh, the God of the universe loves me and wants me and I get to be his kid and I get to do stuff with him? Let's go! We all had that at some point. We need to remember that. As I shared earlier, many that lose that joy have not been regularly communing with Christ not spending time with him. We call that ministering in the flesh. It doesn't work. It's not healthy. I want to encourage you with this in closing. When we are walking in lockstep with the Father, when we are able to accomplish what he has us do, when we've understood what his will for our life is and we come back to our first love, and we leave the things of the world behind us, there is no greater joy than serving the king. I can't tell you. Yes, they're going to be the, the sleepless nights. Yes, there are going to be the times when I've, I've had to go up and visit students at a hospital or, you know, whatever. You walk into some of these devastating things where you have to pray for people at their bedside. There's things that sometimes as you're counseling people, you hear things that you're like, oh, I don't, that's going to stick with me. It, it, it's hard. But when you realize that you're serving the king, when you realize what you're doing, and that ministry, my gosh, there's so much joy in it, and you can start to experience some of that again. There's nothing sweeter than that. So as co-heirs with Christ, get after it. Come serve. Taste and see that God is good. Amen? Amen? Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed.